Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 114 of The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, and I'm your host, and it is with great pleasure that we bring you this latest episode, which is recorded on Sunday, the 18th of September. Now, of course, uh, we did miss an episode last week. We postponed uh, episode 114, which should have aired last week, um, at the request of a number of cruise lines who had previously sent through um, some news for us to feature. But uh, with the passing of the late Queen Elizabeth II, um, they asked us not to uh, feature that cruise news. And uh, as a result of that, we decided actually to also allow you and uh, people and communities around the world to uh, to pay their respects. So uh, hence the, the delay and no episode last week, but this week we are back and uh, we've got a bumper session of cruise news to get through. In effect, two weeks worth of cruise news. So Chris will be joining me in just a second to uh, answer some listener questions. We've got three great questions that came in via the website. And a little later in the show, we also have Keith joining us, who has kindly given us a review of his most recent cruise experience on board Queen Mary 2 as uh, she transited the Atlantic from New York through to Southampton. So quite a lot to get through this week. You've probably got about an hour of cruising pleasure ahead of you, so we probably should jump straight into it. But before we do that, just a reminder, if yourself you have a question that you want to send through to us, you can do so via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. Click on Join the Show, and that's where you can send a question or also tell us about a ship that you would like to review. But let's get Chris on the line and get things started. Enjoy the show. And our favourite part of the show is always when Chris Frame joins us to talk all things maritime history and, of course, cruise news. Chris, welcome back. Thanks so much, Baz. Uh, it's good to, good to be back. Yeah, it certainly is. And, uh, of course, we, we paused last week's episode in respect mm. of the of the, the late Queen. Um, so we've got an awful lot of news to get through, but um, we do have some some great listener questions, some of them associated with um, maritime history, um, and some yeah. of them 
not. So we'll maybe kick off with the first one which came through, um, which is in relation to the Queen, actually. Um, and a lot of people have been asking this question um, in the news circles, but I, I know the sure. answer, and I'm pretty sure you will, given that, that your connections to uh, Cunard, etc. But what is the difference between the Queen and a Queen consort? So the, the Queen um, is uh, the monarch, in so much as the, the crown has passed to them. The queen consort is the the wife of a ruling king. So mm-hmm. if you think about um, even even with the the last sort of a hundred years, you had um, King George V, um, who was a reigning monarch, and his queen consort was Queen Mary, Mary of Tech. Um, mm-hmm. And then when, of course, um, Edward, King Edward, didn't have um, wasn't married, so there was no there was no queen consort. And then um, uh, when you think about King George VI, the, the uh, he was the reigning monarch and, um, and his queen consort was, was Queen Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Bowes Lyon, um, who was later referred to as the Queen Mother. And mm-hmm. then um, there's uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, who was uh, the, the reigning monarch from, from the time her father passed away until, until, until her death. Um, and, uh, so she was, she was queen rather than queen consort. And, and then of course, um, now with King Charles, um, his queen consort is, um, is, is Queen Camilla. Excellent. And am I right in thinking that the male consort is generally referred to as a prince rather than a king consort? Yes, that's correct. Yes. So, So, um, Yeah, and there was um, obviously some some debate at some point uh, about uh, the title that that um, Camilla would would hold, but um, you know she has been um, she has been made queen consort, so it's it's definitely um, it's definitely continuing that tradition. Um, but the 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 um, male uh, consorts are uh, referred to as prince consort. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. Uh, thank you, Margie, for, for that particular question. Now, we have got another two questions that also um, relate to the late Queen, but also uh, in relate to maritime history. Uh, the first of sure. which is how many ships did uh, Queen Elizabeth II christen? Well, um, the Queen christened lots of ships, but um, perhaps if we just touch on some of the, the more um, famous passenger ships, because she, she also christened a number of um, military vessels throughout throughout her career, including the mm-hmm. the um, British aircraft carrier um, HMS uh, Queen Elizabeth, which she which she christened in um, in uh, two thousand and fourteen. But um, if you think back with the the Queen's connection with uh, passenger ship christenings, um, as a as a young princess, she was actually uh, at the at present at the the launch and, and christening of the RMS Queen Mary in 1934 mm. and the uh, Queen Elizabeth in um, the RMS Queen Elizabeth in 1938. Uh, she was, she was there with her, her mother, uh, um, Queen Elizabeth, um, who later of course became the Queen Mother, as we just touched on, um, who mm. launched the, the ship and named the ship after, after herself and, and um, the Queen um, as Princess Elizabeth was there alongside her sister, Princess Margaret. So there's actually some really great archival footage in the archives that shows the, the, three, um, the three of them from the royal family there going to, to the launch at the John Brown shipyard. Um, then if we fast forward to 1947, 
Um, the the Queen, again, as Princess Elizabeth, um, named and, and launched the Cunard Coronia. So um, that was Cunard's special green goddess, the, the, um, mm-hmm. the ship that they had operating as a cruise ship for most of its career. Um, and and that was the, that was the queen's last um, public engagement before her marriage to Prince Philip, the last major public engagement, uh, which ha- which was only a month before, just over a month before her her wedding. So you know, quite a quite a momentous occasion there. Um, then, of course, the one that everybody probably knows about is in 1967. She she named. Uh, and launched the the QE2. Um, mm-hmm. There's a there's a great story, of course, behind that because the the name that Cunard had selected for the ship was in a um, in a sealed envelope, and the Queen um, didn't open the envelope. And in fact, named the ship Queen Elizabeth II, um, <laughs> to, much to the surprise and delight of everybody who was there. So, <laughs> um, and of course, um, uh, they they decided ultimately to 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 use the um, Arabic two, so QE two rather than using the Roman numerals, um, which which was done for a variety of reasons. But it gave that gave sort of gave way to the QE two as being its sort of acronym, which is something that it, that ship was famous for. Um, and then, um, like, there's sort of another big gap. And then in 1995, um, Her Majesty uh, named and christened the Piendo Oriana, which was um, a you know, a pretty big occasion in Southampton because Oriana was uh, a new build ship. It was P&O's first significant new build for its own brand in in decades, and um, it it also was the largest cruise ship built specifically for the British cruise market at the time. Sixty nine thousand tons, Baz, and if you think about, mm. um, you know, the new um, Iona and and Avia. Uh, it's you know they're about double the size, so <laughs> um, how, how things have changed. Um, and then uh, in two thousand four, she she christened um, Queen Mary two in Southampton. Uh, this time, of course, the ship it was unlike the previous queens. It wasn't being launched; it was already in the water. Cunard had already accepted delivery of it, um, and it already had its name, you know, presented on the side. Um, but but the queen did the naming mm-hmm. ceremony. Uh, a few years later, in 2010, she she named um, the new Cunard uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, which the ship itself is actually named after the first Cunard Queen Elizabeth, which was named after her, her mother, the Queen Consort. But the Queen did the did the, the um, naming ceremony there mm-hmm. in Southampton, and then the last sort of famous passenger ship that she uh, she christened was Britannia P and O's Britannia um, mm. in 2015. Uh, and that was again another very sort of very special occasion. Britannia was, you know, at the, at that time again the largest P and O cruise ship that had been had been built, um, and uh, that was another ceremony alongside in Southampton. So she's she's been pretty heavily involved in in the P and O and the Cunard story, um, and um, and of course uh, as well as all you know the various um, military vessels and, and naval vessels that she's she's. Uh, been the, the the naming or the, or the I guess the godmother of or the um or the patron of so yeah it's uh, quite a long history there Barry I also will note as far as Cunard can determine the queen was the only person who was present at the launch of all three Cunard Queen Elizabeths Queen Elizabeth 
when her mother launched the ship in 1938, QE2, of course, in 1967, and the new Queen Elizabeth in 2010. So uh, quite an interesting distinction there as well. Excellent. Um, And that actually ties in very nicely with another question that came in via Luke, who asked, uh, did the late uh, Queen Elizabeth II ever sail? She did. And um, she is actually, it was actually the first time that a reigning monarch had sailed on a passenger um, vessel with uh, undertaking a passenger voyage, um, which is which is quite an interesting um, distinction as well. So in 1990, there was celebrations um, for um, for Cunard's 150th uh, anniversary, um, and the the Queen and um, Prince Philip came on board uh, QE2, and they stayed with the ship as it was sailing between um, two locations in the UK uh, for a very short um, period of time. But technically, it was sailing with fair paying passengers on board, so she did sail with with Cunard, <laughs> um, which is an interesting. Um, you know, usually with 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 royalty, um, you know they they have their own. Uh, that you know, back in that time there was the royal yacht, of course, which would do most of the <laughs> the seagoing transportation. Um, and in fact, um, the royal yacht Britannia actually rendezvoused with with Kiwi too, um, as part of that, um, as part of that occasion. Incredible. So much history there, Chris. Brilliant. And uh, thank you to Luke Barry and Margie for those particular questions. And of course, thanks to Chris for his incredible knowledge and uh, answering those questions for us. Chris, we're going to take a very short break and then we're going to be back with a monster of uh, cruise news. Be sure to share the podcast on your favorite social media channels. Okay, Chris, as we uh, we touched on, we've got about two weeks worth of news. Uh, so we'll uh, probably leave a lot of the details to the the, uh, the show notes, which can be found on the website, but uh, we'll, we'll jump straight in and stay close to home with the great news that surrounded P&O Australia uh, a little over a week ago when they announced that the third ship in the fleet, the entire fleet, is now here in Australia. Absolutely, yes. The new one, Pacific Adventure. So she's, uh, of course, the, the grand class passenger ship, 109,000 tons, 2,600 guests when she's at full capacity. But she has arrived in Australian waters. Um, she made her way to the uh, overseas passenger terminal, which, of course, is the, mm-hmm. the, the, I guess, the one right there by the, by the city near the Opera House. If people know Sydney, that's the, that's the main sort of like visual terminal. Uh, but the, the rest of the cruise terminals are actually on the other side of the bridge at, at a place called White Bay. And that's where P&O's base of operations is. So th- this ship is you know, significant in size, Baz. And um, same scale and dimensions as uh, Pacific Encounter, which we have covered on, on this podcast before. And, and she sailed under the bridge to go to White Bay, which made her one of the tallest passenger ships to ever sit, sail under Sydney Harbour Bridge. Of course, we've touched on the uh, special marine engineering that has taken place to allow her to to position under under the bridge and get through to White Bay. Um, as she mentioned, one hundred nine thousand tons, and uh, she will sail on her first itinerary um, in about a month's time, around about the twenty second of October, sailing from Sydney on a three night comedy cruise. Mm. Now, staying uh, with Australia, well, this time we're talking uh, all things Carnival. Again, a little over a week ago, uh, Carnival received the keys to its newest ship, which, of course, was previously uh, a part of the Costa fleet. Yes, and of all of the ships in the Carnival fleet, it'll be extremely easy to identify which one this one is because of every <laughs> ship that Carnival has gotten its fleet, this is the only one that doesn't have their iconic funnel. They've actually just painted the Costa funnel in the Carnival colours, 
but it doesn't have the 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 winged funnel that the carnival fleet is so so well known for. So it'll be pretty easy to to identify, but um, you know, exciting nonetheless because she has um, you know been been carnivalized, I suppose, in a refit, but will stand out a little bit interior wise as well because of course the Costa. Um, style that that was embedded into the design of the ship is quite distinctive. So we'll make her something of a of a unique, I guess, one off in the in the carnival fleet and um, a great experience for people who want to give it a try. Yeah, of course they're adding in the the signature spaces like the playlist productions, the Punchliner Comedy Club, the Limelight Lounge, Piano Bar eighty eight, Alchemy Bar, Red Frog Rum Bar, Fahrenheit fifty sorry five 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 Steakhouse, Chef's Table, Bonsai Sushi, and many many more. Uh, so we look forward to to seeing her arriving into Brisbane and sailing on the sixth of November. Um, she'll be here, of course, seasonally. Um, then heading up to Alaska for the for the northern summer. Uh, staying with Carnival and this time with the international fleet, uh, Greed Eggs and Ham Breakfast is returning to the fleet, Chris. Yeah, so this is something of a, of a Carnival trademark, I, I suppose, Baz, and it's part of their um, Seuss at Sea program, which is a, a mm. partnership Carnival has with the, with the Dr. Seuss organization. Um, and it's really about um, linking in with the Dr. Seuss characters to create um, some, you know, unique memories and experiences on board the ship. Um, so, I mean, they actually do note that one of the one of the um, menu items, of course, is green eggs and ham. Which um, I don't know. I might I might pass on that one personally. But <laughs> they've got other things <laughs> such as fluffy pancakes, stacks, um, French uh, toast, mousse juice, goose juice. I mean, all sorts of funny things that that kind of link in with that whimsical whimsical brand. Yeah. And of course, in addition to that, they also have the Zeusapalooza Parade, which takes place uh, once during a cruise. That will also be returning uh, from the 1st of November. And Dr. Zeus Bookville uh, is available on selected ships as well. So it, it is great for the for the family to kind of reconnect with Dr. Zeus on board a uh, carnival ship. Now, staying with the, the carnival uh, brand of cruise lines, this time we're talking all things Cunard and talking Cunard down here in Australia, because Cunard has uh, partnered with the British Film Festival Down Under. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, it's the 10th anniversary um, with the British Film Festival. Sounds good, doesn't it, Baz? Certainly does. Uh, So lots of uh, different films available in different locations. We're starting in Sydney on the... uh, Sorry, starting in Adelaide, actually, on the 18th of October. Then lots of different events taking place from the 19th of October to the 16th of November in Sydney, Canberra, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth and Byron Bay. Yeah, really exciting. And I think one of the um, interesting things that they've also noted here is that um, James Bond fans, of course, are going to be pretty excited uh, because there's going to be some Bond um, highlights on board, including Dr. No and on Her Majesty's Secret Service, um, which, of course, stars Australia's Bond. Now, uh, we'll move over to Holland America next. Uh, we've got uh, a trifecta of news from them, actually. But the first piece of news is around Holland America becoming the first and only certified sustainable for Alaska seafood. Yes, so it's a program, Responsible Fisheries Management, or RFM, and it's a third-party um, certification uh, uh, set up here um, for, of course, wild capture fisheries. And um, they obviously are in- ensuring that th- those um, those seafood are being, um, you know, ecologically and sustainably sourced, which, of course, means that Holland America is taking their commitment uh, uh, pretty seriously. Yeah, and of course, uh, Alaskan seafood features very, very heavily on a whole America cruises when they are in Alaska. So great that that, uh, that sustainability is there. Something like 2,000 pounds of Alaskan salmon and 1,000 pounds of Alaskan cod is utilized. So um, on, yeah. on, on, the, um, 
on an Alaskan cruise. So that's you know pretty pretty extensive. So very important for them to to make sure that that, that is being sustainably sourced, so that the um, ecosystem can can survive and produce for many um, you know hopefully forever. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And talking of sustainability, Holland America has also undertaken some uh, uh, testing of biofuel uh, from the port of Rotterdam, and it's uh, proceeded particularly well, uh, above expectation, actually. Yes, absolutely. So it was completed on the 7th of September, so just just, um, recently. Um, It's a mix of 30% biofuel and then 70% marine gas oil, which, of course, in itself is more... um, uh, you know, environmentally friendly than the heavy crude that, um, mm-hmm. or the diesel crude that, that that many of the older cruise ships use. So this is fantastic. It um, it's it's a step in the right direction at least. Um, and apparently, um, there was a seventy eight percent decrease in um the CO two emissions during the final fifteen days of the trial, Baz. Yeah, no, incredible, uh, credible, and well done to Holland America and the various different uh, partners that are making that happen. And I'm sure we'll see further progress as uh, other cruise lines also take up this testing as well. Um, and great news for Holland America fans uh, here in Australia. Holland America is returning uh, after a decade of absence with its Grand Australia and New Zealand voyage. Yeah, 94 days if you do the entire thing, round trip from from San Diego. The, the ship they've selected is the Volendam, which of course is one of their um, smaller and you know probably more intimate um, ships, which would be you mm-hmm. know many people love love that, which is fantastic. I guess classic Holland America um, takes in forty three ports, um, and seventeen of them are in the Australian continent, which is pretty exciting. Um, for those of us in Australia, there'll be overnight calls in in Fremantle and Sydney, and then um, there'll also be an overnight call in New Zealand at, at Auckland. Um, and uh, as well as Papeti and in Tahiti. Fabulous. And of course, if you can't do the full voyage, you can do it as uh, one of two halves um, uh, sailing there, um, either from San Diego down to Sydney or Sydney uh, returning back up. Now let's move over to um, Celebrity Cruises next. Uh, They've announced a new partnership with Four Pillars Gin. Absolutely. Um, They'll be working with Four Pillars to... Uh, serve up some some interesting and and uh, unique uh, cocktail offerings uh, on board. There's uh, some custom curated cocktails which will be served on board the ship. Uh, this, of course, will be available throughout the entire season for next year and into 2023. Um, and it's uh, on ten bars on board a Celebrity Eclipse. And of course, we've got uh, that first sailing there, which is going to be hosted by the brand ambassador from Four Pillars. Uh, and, uh, of course, he's going to be hosting tastings and uh, a Q&A session, um, as well as some uh, complimentary gin cocktail tastings as well. So uh, look forward to that as uh, Celebrity uh, heads down to Australia. Moving over to Princess next, we've heard some great news this oh, year. I know. Isn't this exciting? The next generation of the new Sun Princess. I know. So reinvigorating an iconic name, of course. Sun Princess was part of the um, Princess Cruises fleet since back in the 1990s. She was the class leader of the Sun class, but um, uh, and, and that which was, of course, a class that was much beloved. So it's really exciting to see that, um, that very uh, much-loved name brought back in. Um, this, this ship, um, 175 thousand tons so like a big ship <laughs> um and and by far the biggest in the princess princess fleet um it, it's under construction at fincantieri um and is going to introduce a, a whole host um of uh 
of amenities that are not seen yet on on the princess ships, as well as of course utilizing things um, such as the um, princess medallion, which is made cruising on princess such a breeze. Of course, and her first season will be in the Mediterranean. They have actually only announced the first three sailings at this stage. They went on sale this weekend, so we're currently on sale if you are um, a member of the, the Princess Loyalty Program. You've already got access to that in the higher tiers, um, and the remaining, uh, remaining guests will be able to access that uh, for, from today, I believe, as we're recording this on the, the 18th of uh, September. Um, and then the, the rest of the deployment will actually come out a little later when the whole of 24's European season will be, uh, will be announced. Um, and as a little side note, for those of you that are a fan of the uh, the Love Boat, of course, they have been filming uh, the Love Boat on a princess ship in the Mediterranean. There's a, a US version and a rest of the world kind of version. And of course, those cruise directors, the captains and uh, hotel directors have been doing some launch events around uh, around uh, TV. Uh, mm-hmm. So if, uh, do look out for that. It looks like it's going to be a very, very popular program and will hopefully showcase cruise to a whole new market. Sounds exciting. Now over to Azamara Next, of course, famous uh, for destination immersion. They've just announced the latest 2024 itineraries for its four-ship fleet. Yeah, and there's some exciting um, ones that have been highlighted, you know, uh, as as not to miss, I suppose. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there, there's um, Azamara Quest has got a, a number of them, including a 12-night um, British Isles um, voyage, which has um, a, a sort of a golf theme on board. Um, and they also have a nine-night trip on Quest as well to Argentina, Uruguay, and Brazil, which is quite exciting. Um, Azamara Pursuit has a 12-night South African voyage, um, and Azamara Journey has a a 16-night voyage to New Zealand and Australia. Incredible. And as we say, it's all about a local lens when we come to uh, to Azamara. So you'll be spending a lot more time in ports, uh, visiting a lot more country immersive itineraries. So uh, do take a little look at the show notes or jump onto the Azamara website or see your local travel agent for, for more information about that one. And next up, we've got some great news from Saga, which is, of course, a, a very, very popular cruise line in the UK. Don't always get an awful lot of news to talk about. Well, but we're, this is some we're, pro- too, we're too young to sail on them, Baz. <laughs> that's true actually yeah um but they've got some great news around the 2022 23 uh, cruises that have been enhanced with some new celebrity entertainment who are we talking about chris yeah there's uh, four um uh, that have been announced um there's uh, jules holland uh, alfie bowie uh, phil vickery and to round up the four they've got kevin woodford uh and they've all got um you know different uh you know areas of interest, and that's one of the things that that uh, that Saga does so well is its enrichment and enlightenment sort of programs that they have on board means that there's there's a variety of different sort of um, themes in terms of uh, of entertainment and um, and exposure to to celebrities, which is quite exciting. Um, I think one of the things that's it's interesting about um, the re- revitalized Saga, I suppose, is that the ships have um, their new ships, and they have a, a lot more sort of space for passengers to to engage in these sorts of things. So, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, with with Jules Holland, it's a, a return to Saga. Uh, will be on stage, um, and it will be in their four hundred and forty four seat Playhouse Theatre. Incredible, of course. Jules Holland, famous for his music, of course. The other uh, guest there, Alfred Bowie, is a uh, famous uh, for his music too. We've got Phil Vickery, who's a famous uh, chef and TV presenter, as is Kevin Woodford. So a bit of variety in the theming that is taking place on there. And if you want more information about the particular sailings that they're going to be on, just head over to the website and check out the show notes. Mm. Um, staying in the UK, uh, Fred Olsen are taking a little uh, focus on the European 
winter and in particular around uh, festive cruises and we've got a few little highlights here in fact we've got four cruises that we can talk about that feature some of the festivities of christmas have you ever have you ever sailed on a or been on board a fred olsen cruise line ship Baz? I haven't, no, no. no. Have you? Uh, yeah, uh, not sailed with, but I, I visited um, Black Watch when it was in, in Australia back in 20, uh, I think it must have been 2018, and it was yeah. at Christmas time. And one of the things that, that that I really noticed on board is how well they did their onboard decorations and themings. I mean, they had um, different styles of Christmas decorations in all the different rooms to suit the sort of flavor of the room. Um, they had gingerbread uh, Christmas houses built throughout the ship and there was just a really great festive feel on board. So I imagine like linking in that with these, you know, the, the new ships, um, which mm-hmm. I would absolutely love to try with, with Fred Olsen because of course they're ex-Holland America, beautiful design, yeah. but also has that Fred Olsen sort of flair on board. Um, they'll be really well themed for these voyages. So you've got Balmoral doing an eight night European Christmas markets, um, and Borealis is doing a nine nights uh, river cities into Germany. Um, and then there's Balmoral also again doing a festive Sp- Spanish and Portugal, cr- Portugal cruise and Borealis to finish it off with a, another trip to Spain, a festive Spanish city break. Excellent. And departures there from uh, Liverpool and uh, Portsmouth across those particular vessels as well. Um, Let's head into river cruising next. We've had some great news this week from Avalon Waterways, who uh, have announced that they're entering uh, the the Portuguese rivers and the the Douro in particular with a a great new ship. When's this happening, Chris? Yeah, so it's... uh the actual um, itinerary itself um, departs and ends in Porto and it's uh, being undertaken in 2024. So it's a little bit of a wait, but it gives you some time to, to plan and get over to, to Europe if you're interested in this. And of course, maybe, um, you know, link it in with a, with a larger European trip if you're not from that part of the world. But they, they've also listed out um, exactly sort of like what their ideas around the day by day breakdown is going to be from a, um, a welcome on board and a, an optional food tour to sort of link you with the, the port of, um, of Porto, um, all the way through to um, shore excursions, sightseeing, adventures and, and visits to UNESCO heritage sites. Yeah, and of course, don't forget that the nature of the Douro River does mean that the the vessels are a little bit smaller than you'd traditionally find, say, on the Rhine or the Danube. And this particular ship uh, is no different. She's uh, uh, only accommodating 102 guests and 33 crew. Um, but uh, it's a beautiful part of the world, and I highly recommend uh, anybody uh, to take a European river cruise, uh, not only in Portugal, but anywhere in Europe. It's, it's a great way to see that particular part of the world. And uh, we've uh, at last had some great news down here in Australia. To the rest of the world, you'll be thinking, why are we bothered? It's, uh, it exists everywhere else. But for the very first time, Chris, Disney are coming down under. I know. We wished upon a star so many times during the pandemic, didn't we, Baz? <laughs> and now they're finally answered because Disney is you know, making its way down under. Um, it's the Disney Wonder, so one of their older ships, but much loved around the world. Um, and she will be sailing down to Australia again from February of 2024. So 2024 is shaping up to be a pretty big year for cruise, um, mm. and we'll be doing um, a number of cruises from a variety of home ports. It's not just Australia, though, Barry. It's also in New Zealand. So she'll be um, basing herself in Auckland and then also um, transitioning between Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane. Yes, that's correct. We have got a full list of all the different departures that are on there, but uh, just to give you a rough idea, the first cruise um, out of Sydney will be on the 28th of October. The first cruise out of Melbourne will be the 3rd of November. 
The first cruise out of Brisbane will be the 8th of December, and the first cruise from Auckland will be the 21st of uh, November. So lots of little short uh, cruises there to sample the Disney magic at sea, and uh, there is already a substantial amount of interest uh, when people out there that are keen mm. to, to find out a little bit more about that. So if you are one of those people, highly recommend that you put a registration in with a, a local travel agent and they'll uh, get all that information to you as, as it becomes yeah. available. But I, uh, I should have said, actually, Barry, I, I think I might have mis- misled the listeners a little bit. So the ship arrives in October 23, but goes through to February 24. So Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah so sorry. Yeah, that, the dates Barry just gave you will make more sense now. <laughs> and I've done my job properly. <laughs> No, that's all good. Um, and that's all we've got in the cruise news this week, Chris. But there was a hell of a lot of information in there. As I said, we've kind of skimmed over a lot of it, and uh, further information is available in the show notes for anybody that wants to uh, take a little bit more of a deep dive into that. Yeah, Baz. So, I mean, there has been so much that we've covered in, in this uh, this podcast. And look, th- this week, actually, um, I'm going to be releasing a, a more in-depth look at the ships that the, the Queen, um, Her Majesty the Queen, uh, launched throughout her her life, so that will be on my on my YouTube channel, of course. If anybody's interested in getting some more uh, information about that, uh, probably after probably after Monday, I would say is the safest time to have a look, uh, and it will be at YouTube.com/slash Chris Frame Official. Awesome. I look forward to uh, watching that one myself, Chris. And uh, of course, we will always put the, the show notes. We always put the link to your YouTube channel in each and every one of the, the show notes pages. And of course, I'm no doubt we'll be showcasing that particular video, which is up live and visible for all. Chris, always a pleasure, mate. Uh, thank you very, very much and look forward to doing it all again the same time next week. Sounds fantastic, Baz. See you then. Okay. Hello, it's me again. Just wanted to thank those of you that have supported us via Buy Me A Coffee. Um, If you're not familiar with that uh, system, it's a little bit like Patreon, where you can support your favorite YouTuber or artist. Um, We use Buy Me A Coffee, which is basically because we love coffee. Um, And in a nutshell, you can donate the cost of a coffee, about four Australian dollars, or multiple coffees if you prefer. Um, And in return, you receive priority access to all of the podcasts. So it doesn't matter where you listen to your podcast. If you support us via Buy Me A Coffee, you will receive an email every week um, just saying the new podcast is live and available. Here's the link, or listen to it in your favorite podcast. And uh, it gets to you about... 12 to 24 hours before anybody else gets access to it so it's a a great little bonus there and uh, once again it's about four Aussie dollars Um, one coffee multiple coffees you decide but every little donation is greatly appreciated and just a reminder you can find the link uh, to buy me a coffee in the show notes on the website and uh, also via the buy me a coffee app thanks in advance and it's always great to welcome a new listener to the show Keith welcome from the USA Thanks, Baz. Good to be here. Oh, God, my pleasure. My pleasure to have you. Now, you reached out via the website to tell us that you had uh, just completed a cruise on board the beautiful Queen Mary 2, of course, part of the Cunard fleet, uh, which was a transatlantic cruise, I believe. And uh, you were keen to share your experiences with us. So thank you very, very much for doing so. Before we get into the the nitty gritty of the cruise, uh, just tell uh, myself and the listeners, have you cruised before and also have you cruised with Cunard? So my wife and I have cruised seven times so far, and uh, this is our first with Cunard. And, um, you know, I I think the reference point for listeners is, uh, for us anyway, our sort of default experience is Holland America. Um, So you think about the, you know, the breadth of cruise lines out there and, and, you know, the different types of experiences. Uh, We value the the size, the service, the quality, right, of a a Holland America experience. And so needed needed a transatlantic, and so Cunard looked like a, a great opportunity there. 
Fabulous. Now, you were doing a cruise from New York through to Southampton in July, so hopefully the seas were, were kind to you. But uh, tell us about how you got down to, to New York and uh, your, your experience of boarding the ship. Yeah, so uh, we live in upstate New York, about halfway between New York City and Montreal. So we actually used Amtrak to travel down to New York City uh, the night before uh, our our embarkation, a nice dinner out in the city. Um, And, you know, we were going to do an Uber uh, to uh, the Brooklyn Cruise Terminal from Mm -hmm. Manhattan, where we were staying. However, um, uh, as I was was looking at some options, um, I saw the, the New York City ferry system and uh, something my wife and I have not experienced yet and decided, hey, let's, um, let's try the, the ferry. So uh, we made our way down to, to Wall Street, boarded the, uh, the ferry at Wall Street, took us right over to, to Brooklyn. And it was like a one minute walk from oh, the, uh, yeah, from that, from that ferry stop. And so, you know, it was almost a, uh, you don't want to call it a pre-cruise, but it was an interesting <laughs> lead up right to, to embarkation. Yeah, excellent. No, I wouldn't have thought of that myself. So uh, good, good, good little tip there. Um, and the embarkation procedure, roughly how long did it take to kind of get from, from the entrance to the, the terminal up into the, the gangway? Yeah, so it was a little under an hour, between 45 minutes and an hour. Uh, you know, the, the security check and um, you know, a couple couple intermediate checks before we actually got to the uh, – you know, to the to the counter, if you will, right? So I want to check our vaccination status and our testing status. But mm-hmm. yeah, just under an hour, Baz. No, not bad going, actually, considering everything, all the additional checks that are happening around about now as well. And uh, as you walk up that gangway and you enter into the magnificent uh, Queen Mary 2, what was the, the feeling? Was it as grand as you expected it to be? It certainly was. So the, um, you know, the boarding is into the grand lobby. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the ship was, was beautiful. It was clean. It was bright. There were fresh, fresh flowers. There were smiling faces, you know, it, it, it may sound cliche, right? All these things that I'm describing, but when you experience it, um, especially first cruise, you know, post pandemic or post, post the, the, the start of the pandemic, um, it was uh, a very welcoming experience and um, quite frankly made us feel quite young, you know, grin on our faces, um, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> Fabulous. Now, uh, did you get to spot, to, sorry, did you get a bite to eat first of all, or did you head straight to your cabin? We actually headed straight to the cabin. We had some um, some backpacks, you know, small small carry-ons. We thought, well, we'll set those down in the cabin. Uh, turns out, when we got to the cabin, half our bags were there. Um, the other half, yeah, the other half were in the elevator lobby, um, and and uh, I wheeled those in. So, uh, you know, all of that went smoothly. And then, um, yeah, right up to the King's Court buffet for uh, for some lunch. Fabulous. Now let's talk about you, your your stateroom first of all, um, before we, we get up to the the, uh, the the dining areas of the ship. Um, if you kind of just first of all, what type, what category of uh, accommodation did you book? Yeah, so that's a great question. We actually booked uh, an inside cabin. Um, we were in a, a bit of a budget situation. Mm-hmm. So last November, we, yeah, we booked the inside cabin. We thought, well, we're not going to spend any time in the cabin. We'll be out, you know, on, on yep. deck and, you know, in the various spaces. Um, and then uh, it, it was it was interesting that uh, prices started to drop in uh, late winter, spring time frame. Uh, so we reached out to the travel agent who we had booked through um, and said, you know, hey, is there, a, is there a possibility of getting an upgrade? We know there's not going to be any, you know, any credit back, right, for yeah. for the fare we paid, but, you know, 
you know, think we can get an upgrade there. And so the travel agent got back to us less than 24 hours later, and we have been upgraded to a sheltered balcony. Oh, okay. Very nice. Nice, uh, nice little uh, result there for you. It was. It was. <laughs> and describe the describe this particular particular cabin. Um, was there lots of abundance of uh, storage space, and was it kind of as you expected to be when you compare it to say Holland America Line? Um, very much um, a similar size to uh, balcony or veranda, as it's called on on Holland America. Um, so, you know, as you first walk in, a series of closets on one side, a bathroom on the other, I walk in, then the bed, and then, of course, the, um, the two-place couch and, and desk, and then the, uh, the door out to the, uh, the sheltered balcony. So um, very much, I, w- I would say, a, a standard size for a balcony-type uh, type stateroom, certainly not a, not a suite, uh, not a grill's room. Um, the storage was plenty. Um, there was one small... Um, oddity i would say uh, so there were there were two closets that were available for hanging clothes and in one of the closets the bar on which the hanger uh hangers um oh, yeah. suspended mm-hmm. uh, the bar ran right to left and so you would hang things in there and you'd as you open the door you'd see sort of one shoulder right of the of the items you'd hung up sort of kind of commonplace for a closet however the other hanging closet um was set up so that the bar ran front to back in the space oh, okay. and the hangers were crossways and so as you open the door you'd see the front of the first item of clothing yeah and at first we thought well that's, that's kind of interesting kind of you know as you, as you commented bass but um what we found to be um uh disadvantageous about that is if you wanted something behind that first article that was quite a bit of shuffling to try to reach around and get one item off yeah so um you know i it it obviously must have been a space consideration but uh it was a rather odd layout i I don't recall seeing before um and and certainly if if i was designing a cabin i don't think i would include that if there were a way (laughs) and have they added usbs to the, the staterooms now for your charging points um, they have not. So you know, certainly the U.S. as well as the U.K. Um, uh, you know, ports and and we had a charger. We were you know embarking on nine days in in uh, England and Scotland. So you know we had a, a not a charger converter, um, mm-hmm. but no 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 dedicated USB ports. And in the the bathroom, I think from memory, it's still the shower curtains, isn't it for for QM two? It is a it is a shower curtain. Um, it was certainly clean. Certainly um, a good size shower. You know, for for a, a balcony class stateroom. Um, you know, I know a, a common concern among among many travelers is the is the, um, the storage space in the bathroom. Um, and I would say it was. Um, Perhaps better than average. Certainly, okay. a couple of those kind of corner shelves you typically see near the mirror wall yep. intersection. Uh, there was some space available under the sink as well. And um, my wife and I certainly have our our spread of stuff for seven days, and That's and we didn't have we didn't have any challenges there. No problem. Now you say sheltered balcony. Does that that kind of implies to me that you're either very far forward or possibly closer to the waterline? Would I be right in thinking that? Yeah, so very perceptive, exactly. So we were in deck four, um, and so if one is looking at an, an image of the Queen Mary two from the outside, this is the uppermost deck that's painted in that dark blue, mm-hmm. almost black color um, mm-hmm. on the ship. So the the sheltered balcony means that the outer edge of the balcony is actually the welded steel hull of the ship. Yeah. Um, and so your balcony is is behind that, and uh, you know we we found the view to be um, 
to be fine. Um, you know, I think the difference between that and, and a traditional balcony, if you will, the traditional balcony will have that glass panel below the railing height, you know, mm-hmm. say below chest height, whereas this being a sheltered balcony um, below, you know, waist height was in fact steel, you know, the steel hull of the ship. So if you were seated um, on that uh, sheltered balcony, your view was, was maybe horizontal and up from horizontal, you wouldn't be, you you wouldn't be able to see the water um, while seated. Yeah. But as long as you're aware of that, and as you say, you booked an an inside cabin and this was a nice little uh, upgrade there. So uh, probably didn't bother you too much, I'm guessing. Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, um, of course, the, one of the big changes that happened in cruising in general since uh, since the pandemic has been the change to uh, muster drill or lifeboat drill, as some people refer to it. Um, how is it taking place on Kuno now? Has it changed at all from the traditional uh, go and get your life jacket and head to the the, the gathering point? It has certainly been streamlined, like you know, like we've heard about elsewhere, right? Um, so as you enter the stateroom for the first time, there's a, a video loop playing on the television, and in fact, you need to watch it in its entirety and and sort of acknowledge that um, before you can um, switch to a different station on the on the okay, TV. Yeah. And um, yes, yeah, so the instructions were take your your um, um, your you know your onboard stateroom card and go to your muster station and meet a member of the staff there and they would simply scan your card so uh, mm-hmm. no no need to show up at an appointed time no need to bring your life jacket um, just uh, show up at that location understand you know where that location is swipe your card and move on with your holiday so much better isn't it we should have thought of this years ago <laughs> indeed now let's talk about dining of course you mentioned there that you, you one of the first experiences you went up to the the, the leader or the king's court um how did you find the the foods um, in the more casual atmosphere on board qm2 yeah so the the king's court buffet was was very satisfactory i would say satisfactory to good depending on the mm-hmm. on the meal um we we were not disappointed. Um, we certainly enjoy the uh, I'll call it the fine dining experience, right? Main dining room for supper, um, but for breakfast and lunch, um, hard to beat the variety that was there. Um, good quality um, uh, and and um, you know something uh, I would say something for every taste at at all of the meals that that we took there. Um, you know, certainly with, with COVID, there was no, uh, self-serve. Um, mm-hmm. so it was staff served from behind glass and, um, you know, it, it, as a result of COVID and, you know, we heard in the spring and the summer about staffing challenges on the ships. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think this was, this was one of two places where we observed that. Um, and so, at no point was was the was the king's court crowded. We were never more behind more than two people. It was usually one yep. to two people at each station. However, the staff serving you might be covering more than one station, right? Um, and so they might be serving. Um, say blintzes to a customer at a station to the side and you're waiting for, you know, say some breakfast meat, right. At mm-hmm. an adjacent station. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were, they were gracious. They were responsive. And, you know, I, I didn't, we didn't, we didn't miss any events because of how long it took to have breakfast or, <laughs> or lunch. Um, there were shorter queues than you encounter in the grocery. How's that? Yeah, fair enough. Yep, good, good, good uh, observation there. Um, and elsewhere on the ship, did you experience the the, the great pub foods? Um, any of the little uh, specialities at all? Yeah, so we we did lunch in the in the Golden Lion one day. Uh, certainly a um, 
uh, maybe a more authentic, uh, you know, English experience than, than the other dining locations on the ship. And that's what mm-hmm. my, my wife was aiming for. Um, that was the only, uh, that was the only specialty that we did. Um, we, uh, we didn't, we didn't spring for the, the veranda steakhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, uh, stuck to the main dining room for the, mm-hmm. for the other big meals. Fabulous. And how was that? It was an excellent experience. Um, we had we had wonderful food. Um, the food service was excellent with uh, with our, our head waiter and, and our, you know our lead waiter and, and his assistant. Um, uh, even though there's always a you know we we know that those assistant waiters are the ones in training, right? But mm-hmm. um, uh, gracious. Uh, polite, um, well versed in the experience, well versed in the food, able to answer questions. Um, uh, you know, there were some things we saw in the menu we had questions about, and certainly the, the staff was was eager and able to uh, to help there. Um, we um, we appreciated the the level of service and the the relaxed atmosphere. You know, we, we know those dining rooms have a, have a turnover. We ate in the earlier seating, right? So there's a, there's a turnover time, right. To, mm-hmm. uh, to get that dining room ready for the second seating. Uh, but we did not feel rushed. I think we lingered more than, than maybe other folks did. And, and uh, it was a, it was a comfortable experience. Um, I think I would expand on that Baz, mm-hmm. by saying this was the, this was the second area where we noticed, a staffing challenge, and it wasn't with um, the wait staff; it was with the sommelier, um, right? The bar oh, staff okay. in yep. the in the main dining room. Um, so for the first, oh, I would say, two nights, even into the third night, there was quite a delay in um, in being asked if we wanted a, a pre dinner cocktail or or glass of wine or prosecco, um, right. and. And not just with our table, but in in our area, we got to know some some folks seated adjacent to us, and and uh, became friends with them over the course of the cruise. And and they had unfortunately had a had a similar experience. Um, and what was perhaps most surprising, I would say most disappointing, um, is that there didn't seem to be an acknowledgement of that or sort of mm. graciousness in handling it. Um, but that that bar staff member was. Uh, perhaps spread a little thin, um, yeah. and and unfortunately was not was not as gracious as the other staff um, as you might expect from a Cunard experience. It did improve yeah. over the over the course of the voyage, um, and uh, but you, you know for for example the, the first night um, we were into our second course before we were offered um, oh, wow. to drink beer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so surprising there. Um, yeah. Yeah, unusual with the uh, with the Somalia situation. Uh, not uh, personally had um, that disappointment myself. Um, hopefully they're uh, working on that and improving things. But as you say, there is a generally a shortage of crew, not just in the cruise industry, but in in general everywhere. I think yes. in the world is pretty short staffed right now. <laughs> True, um, and we saw that um, uh, the first or second night on board, um, we uh, we went forward to the um, uh, the. Uh, Commodore Club, oh, yeah. uh, very nice little little um, uh, club or, or you know uh, lounge at the at the front of the ship, mm-hmm. um, and we wanted to, you know it was after the show, um, and and so we wanted to have a you know an after after show drink, um, and as we came in, um, there were there was a bartender, and then the, it looked like there was one waiter, and um, you know we sat down, and and uh, uh, the waiter came over and offered us a menu, and and um, 
you know, took, took an order. Um, but when he brought the drinks, he, he set them down on a different table. And he said, I thought you might be more comfortable over here and be able to see um, the bar and the, and the piano player. Um, and I thought, well, that's a little odd, but sure, why not? Okay. So we moved over there. It was, it was no problem. Um, however, a, a second waiter um, um, tried to move a customer um, who was headed towards a table tried to move them to a, to a different table and, and it was not handled um, as graciously. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that there were coverage issues. They didn't have enough waiters for, you know, the number of tables in this. So they were trying to sort of right. close some tables off without, you know, putting up some <laughs> cheeky, like a, like a barrier or you yeah. know, velvet rope or something like that. Um, and so, you know, I, I think we experienced it being handled as maybe as graciously as it could be. Um, but we saw another, you know, another party maybe not have as positive experience with that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think the, the, you know, the feedback to Cunard is 98% of the cruise was, was absolutely fantastic. I think that the, the challenging parts with staffing, um, you know, maybe there's some, some, some coaching right, yeah. with the staff to help them handle the situation as graciously as, as possible. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. That's a, a good observation. Absolutely. Um, now you, you touched on the, the lounge there. How was the flow of people around the lounge? Did it feel like a, a busy ship? Uh, it did not. It did not. Um, I would say the busiest place on the ship was uh, was the Golden Lion Pub. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that was the food. Part of it was you know a very relaxed, comfortable atmosphere. Um, and part of it too was the live entertainment. I think the live entertainment in the Golden Lion was a little more um, upbeat and lively than maybe you saw mm-hmm. in in some of the other um, yeah. lounges. Um, it's also not that big of a venue, uh, not that large of a venue. Um, mm-hmm. So you know there we we did have a challenge getting. Um, uh, getting seating one night, but everywhere else we went, we found seating um, with without challenge. Uh, frequently for breakfast, we were able to find a table by the window, you know, for mm-hmm. the uh, for the outside view of the King's Court, mm-hmm. and um, it it did not feel crowded. So you know, Queen Mary two capacity 2,700 guests. Um, Captain told us we had about eighteen hundred guests on board. I okay. think it was eighteen oh six best. So about yeah. two thirds. Okay. Um, but um, you know the 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 main pool Lido deck area, um, which is you know on many cruise ships, right, the most popular area for hanging out <laughs> during the day, um, and you know certainly a different demographic, right, with the, with the Cunard. Um, and I, I would say we were on the younger side, right, for Cunard guests. My wife and I are in our, our early fifties. Was able to find a pair of lounge chairs together um, on that Lido every time you know we looked for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a couple of days when it was sunny and warm, um, and you know outdoor lounge chairs together, no problem at all either. So no, it it did not feel crowded. Um, in fact, the um, sort of the the general supposition um, among among the guests that we talked to was the reason the prices went down is because the COVID uh, restrictions had relaxed somewhat, even in in the springtime, right before Mm -hmm, we got mm -hmm. to this sort of big surge in the middle of the summer. Um, uh, And so I think they opened up additional capacity on the ship. And so as you open up that capacity closer to sailing time, discounted pricing is usually, you know, the the path to filling those berths. But no, it it definitely did not feel, uh, did not feel crowded. And how about the the atmosphere in, in the evening? Obviously, with Cunard, there's the the dress requirements um, um, of different levels on on different days. Um, but when you compare that, say Holland America, did it feel much more formal, for one for a better word, of an evening? 
Um, it did. Um, you know, the, the literature that you read about Cunard says that they're going to put on a, a more elegant experience um, with events or, or activities and the ship and, and that type of thing. Um, and we didn't see the overall experience stepping up on those formal nights other than what guests brought to the table, um, mm-hmm. literally, figuratively. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, you know, there there was, um, you know, by and large, uh, I don't know, 75, 80%, if I, if I had to throw a number out there, mm-hmm. of, of um, guests who, you know, certainly engaged the the formal nights and the, the themes to those and, you know, enjoyed the experience and, you um, uh, Interestingly, and I don't know if this is unique to, to perhaps cruising with, with um, you know, mainly folks from the UK, which is which is mm-hmm. new for us, um, or if it's sort of a um, social commentary post you know post COVID world um, that you know people were very supportive and complimentary of each other, much more of a sense of community mm-hmm. than perhaps I've experienced on on other holidays, um, okay. and certainly certainly welcomed. Yeah, very nice, very nice. Um, <clears throat> and that kind of leads me into the the entertainment on board. Um, what, what kind of things are happening on? I mean, there's a lot of sea days. You've got seven days to get across the Atlantic. There um, is there enough going on to to keep you entertained and uh, enriched as you travel? There certainly was, um, and and I think it was the right amount where um, you know we didn't have that that FOMO, right, fear of missing out. <laughs> that that I I feel like I just want to. I want to lay out in the sun for a couple of hours. Yeah. And it wasn't that there was a compelling activity every moment, at least for us, right. For our taste. So um, my wife engaged in a number of spa activities uh, and some yoga classes and uh, mindfulness and meditation, things like that. And found yep. those very engaging um, in the mornings. And um, uh, I attended some of the, the lectures. They had three, uh, three lecturers on board with a rotating series of, of talks. And we of course did the illuminations, uh, um, uh, planetarium show mm-hmm. um and then the evening shows were were quite well done um they had uh an individual singer they had their their sort of in-house um you know troupe or or, or um um cast shows uh they also had a comedian aboard um and you know i, I think those shows were of excellent quality um i would say a step above um what we've probably seen on, on other ships. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the shows, you know, weren't to our taste. And so, you know, we use those opportunities to go out on deck and take yep. the sunset pictures and, and those types of things. But um, I think it was an appropriate mix of activity an appropriate quantity of activities an appropriate quality of activities. that certainly met with our expectations of, of what we thought um, we should, we should uh, uh, experience on a, on a Cunard crossing. Great news. And uh, how kind was the Atlantic to you? I've done the, the crossing a couple of times, never on Queen Mary 2, um, and I've always been lucky, actually. Uh, so it was very kind to us. Um, we had excellencies the whole way. Um, even even on days when from deck 12, it would look calm, go down to deck four. Remember, we were on deck four in that sheltered yeah. balcony, and you get a little bit more um, horizontal rather than vertical view of the ocean. You realize, wow, those really are four to six foot waves. Um, <laughs> And, um, you know, some of our, our cruises before have been, say, New York to Bermuda, Baltimore mm-hmm. to the Bahamas. Um, so, you know, some some blue water cruising, if you will, in a cruise yep. ship rather than ocean liner. It is a different experience. Um, when people say that there is a, a different experience traveling an ocean liner rather than a cruise ship for that transatlantic, mm-hmm. I would say regardless of the seas, I agree with that. Um, we were 
um, somewhat concerned, uh, but it was it was unfounded. It was a, a yep. very smooth experience. And if you had to choose one area of the ship as to the, the, the place that you like to call your own, was there anywhere on board that, that really appealed to you? Oh, interesting question. Um, well, we certainly didn't have it to our own, but... Um, you know, the, the full um, walk around or, you know, promenade, you might call it, um, on deck seven uh, was fantastic. It was fantastic for, quite honestly, for people watching, mm-hmm. um, as well as, uh, you know, the ocean and the daylight and the fresh air um, and the ability to keep active. You know, it, it, at one point it occurred to me as, you know, we would see, uh, we'd see people in, in more more active exercise than my wife and I were doing and, and some mm-hmm. people more sedentary than us. But, you know, you're on a ship that's, uh, you know, 1200 feet long yep. by what, 120, 130 feet wide for seven days. It can be very challenging to, to, to find enough space to be active. Um, and so, yeah, we, we love the, the promenade and, and being able to, to do the laps there. Um, even though you're in the middle of the ocean and, you know, frequently there's, there's, you know, not a lot to see, um, there's a difference in the wind. There's a difference mm-hmm. in the wave patterns. There's a difference mm-hmm. in the sun, um, and and so it was it was very enjoyable. Um, what I would also say is that we found um, some seating areas uh, near the bow of the ship. Um, as you, uh, there's sort of a, a half set of stairs and a, and a off level walkway to go around the Royal Court Theater to mm-hmm. get to Illuminations, which is the smaller. Um, yep. Uh, venue at the at the very bow of the ship, and there are some very nice seating areas there with with portholes. And so, um, yeah. you know, even on a day that was was rather gray, uh, those were were light filled and a wonderful way to sort of look out the window, enjoy the ocean while being protected, but you know, yeah. be able to to read a book as well. Huh. And that kind of leads me to my next question: How did you find getting around the ship? Did, because she is very unique. She's not like other ocean going ships. I find. The first couple of times I've been on her, I find it quite confusing trying to find some areas. How did you go? Um, it wasn't too bad. Um, I, I had read the same thing right, Baz, before the before the voyage, and and was sort of prepared for that. But you know, other than the sort of half a flight down to get up to Illuminations and um, yep. <laughs> getting your way to the Queen's room in the back was you know a little adventure too, right around the around the main dining room and that half flight down and, and through yeah, the that's what I'm thinking there. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I would say that was actually the only one that really confused us. Um, the one forward uh, wasn't wasn't too bad but yeah. um yeah the, getting to the getting to the queen's room was was a, an interesting experience but um no other than that um i think the the signage was you know certainly on par with what we've seen elsewhere and um i i didn't find it to be as frustrating as maybe some people have okay that's good news um and i always like to ask because I, I generally believe that uh a cruise director doesn't necessarily make or break a cruise, but a really good cruise director can kind of elevate the cruise a little bit. Um, how I know with Cunard they call them um, entertainment directors, I believe. How, how did you find uh, this person on board QM2? Yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting question because our only exposure to the entertainment director um, was as she um, introduced acts, um, you know, in the evening show okay, or yeah. maybe wrapped up after that with some announcements. So, you know, the, the Cunard doesn't do the, the daily announcement, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody, there's trivia going on at 10 o'clock. <laughs> and, you know, uh, that, that's not right. That's not the experience. Of yeah. So so we only experienced, you know, uh, had exposure to her there. And, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that was enough to, you know, perhaps 
perhaps past, past judgment, I would say that the experiences that we had around the ship seemed to be um, well-staffed, seemed to be well thought out. Um, you know, I, I didn't find any, we didn't find anything, you know, lacking as far as the, the number of activities or the variety of activities. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was certainly times when we would look and, oh, look, there's nothing nothing after lunch. Would you like to go out and sit in the sun? All right, great. We'll go out and sit in the sun for a few hours. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily thrive on running from event to event. And so, you know, if there were one or two things per day, fantastic, because um, the fewer times I have to look at my watch, the the better the vacation. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And on arrival into Southampton, as your voyage is coming to an end, how was the disembarkation? Um, it was actually very smooth. Um, they gave us a time. They told us to stay in our room. Um, I think our time was uh, 9 45, 10 o'clock, something like that. Okay. Um, but um, uh, things cleared quickly. And by, I think, about 9 o'clock, you know, we were out, out on deck, you know, sort of looking at the dock and the, and mm-hmm. the, the uh, uh, provisioning of the ship and, and so on. And by 9 o'clock, there was an announcement, you know, everybody can, can move at their, at their own pace now. Um, I, I don't know if, if, um, you know, listeners will be familiar with this or not, but I have to say that, that you know, the process of, um, I'm going to say entering the UK, um, oh, yeah. you know, with customs, border patrol, you know, those types of things, good Lord, was that smooth and easy. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, of course you got to show your passport and they scan your passport, you know, at the, at the, at the embarkation in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, long about, I would say day four. Four, maybe five baths, uh, uh, people from different decks, like one deck per time slot, were invited to go back to the main dining room and meet with a um, uh, border control officer from the UK. Mm-hmm. And so that person had been on the voyage with us. Uh, he briefly looked at our passport, um, looked at his sheet, checked off the name. Um, that was it. Yep. When yeah, we got off the ship, there was... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> big difference from JFK or, 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 you know, doing, doing that voyage in, in reverse. So, you know, certainly kudos to everyone who has set up and, and staffs that system. And, you know, I, I, I would imagine that Cunard pays a, pays a price there of, you know, at, at least accommodation and, and yeah. staffing that person. Um, but by, by gosh, is that a smooth, you know, end of the end of the voyage. Yeah, Holland America do something similar down here when you're cruising between Australia and New Zealand for that, that couple of sea days that they, it takes between Sydney and Auckland. Um, they uh, pay to have either the Australian or the New Zealand people, uh, customs people on board to process people before arrival. And it really, really does make such a big difference. Wonderful, so, wonderful. So um, if I can, let me let me take that a step further. So you asked about the, the disembarkation. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, easy to, to, to find our bags. And um, we had used uh, luggage forward for some luggage shipping. Okay. Um, uh, and um, I would say, you know, a small bit of miscommunication where um, we got off the ship, went to the appropriate sort of pen or holding area, right, to get our luggage. And some of our luggage was there, but some of our luggage was not. And so there was, you know, quite some worry there. And, and, talk to somebody and they were like, Oh, well, you need to go check with the luggage forward people. They may have pulled your luggage out of the pen already. Uh-huh. You know, I thought, we, you know, the instructions from, from luggage forward, and this isn't Cunard, right. But mm-hmm. the instructions from luggage forward were, you know, claim your bags and then meet us um, at, at our van. So mm-hmm. anyway, we went and spoke with them. They had our bags and, and, you know, life moved on. But I would say the, the, um, 
the worst part of the whole experience is you step outside that that terminal. There were uh, three other ships that yep. had um, docked that morning, and the queue for the taxi was endless. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, the dock staff or the port staff had estimated it a two hour queue. Um, so I oh I know. So um, we were headed to the train station. We were on for a, a nine day trip around around the UK. Um, and so uh, I pulled out my phone, ordered up an Uber, um, and it was I don't know eight ten minutes. Uh, Uber driver pulled up, took it, yeah, took us over to the train station, and uh, you know, so we were, we were asking, you know, he said, yeah, it's, it's quite busy, and and you know, there's no strike or labor action going on. Um, it's just you know, prime mm-hmm. time. This was yep. say nine thirty in the morning. Wow, good good little tip there. Um, and I'm guessing you probably arrived in the middle of that big heat wave that they've been having in the UK at the time. How are they <laughs> <We> coping? Arrived, <laughs> yeah, so we arrived just. Um, about two days before the heat wave really kicked off or a day or two before it kicked off. Um, so uh, I won't give you the whole itinerary, but on the, the what was it Monday or Tuesday when it was over a hundred Fahrenheit in, in London, um, we were in Edinburgh um, and actually that particular day had, had taken a, a bus tour to Malig on the West coast, uh, uh-huh. Northwest coast of, of Scotland. We got, we got off the bus and pulled out our fleece jackets um, oh. on the sea coast there because it was 60 and cloudy, okay. uh, 60 degrees Fahrenheit and cloudy. Um, so we did miss most of the, most of the heat wave. <laughs> Fabulous. Good news. Um, now, before we wrap up, I've just got a, a three or four little, uh, uh, fast questions for you just uh, the first thing that comes into your mind uh, sunrise or sunset oh sunset day at sea or day ashore oh day at sea um alaska or the med we have not been to the med alaska beautiful beautiful scenery beautiful part of the world and uh, lastly it's uh, my shout we're in the commodore club or the red line whichever you prefer um what are you drinking Sapphire and tonic, gin and tonic, Bombay Sapphire. Very nice, very nice. Keith, absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you very, very much for for sharing uh, your, your story with us and sharing your experience of Cunard. Um, I'm sure our listeners are going to really enjoy it. And uh, next time you get an opportunity to cruise, I, I hope that you come back. And with that note, have you got another cruise booked? Uh, not booked yet, but thinking about it. <laughs> Where are you thinking of? Uh, we're actually thinking about um, another transatlantic. Uh, it's a wonderful way to cross. Um, really helps with the time zone changes, uh, yeah. which is, believe it or not, the first thing that brought us to a transatlantic cruise so we could enjoy that, that time in the UK without having to worry about the mm-hmm. jet lag. Fabulous news. Keith, once again, thank you very, very much, my friend. We'll uh, hopefully speak to you another time. Thank you, Baz. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer. After for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.